Hey, hey, you people of Earth, it's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick and Casey. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. So who wins in a fight, Johnny? Conan or Dracula? Conan, duh. You think Conan? I know Conan, man. No, no one kill no one kills a Chimerian, man. <laughs> I love Conan. Welcome Dude, back too. to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Regan. That right there, sitting right there, slicking his hair back, adjusting his collar, tightening his tie. You know, he don't wear ties. Johnny Horsley and to Day on the show. Well, it's Richard Davis, isn't it? It is. You know what's sad about the whole intro? Everything you said, I actually was doing as you were saying. I'm like, oh, they, like somebody can see me. I'm like, wait, <laughs> nobody can see me. What am I doing? God, yeah. Ugh. In my mind, I knew you'd start doing everything I was <laughs> that I was describing because you're like that. <laughs> I am. I am. And, like, and to yeah, be honest, I'm, I'm I probably would be too. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the fun stuff we do, nobody ever sees. Uh, so Rich Davis comes on, talks to Melissa about his new book, Cult of Dracula, out from Source Point Press. You nice. know we love Source Point. They, had, they put out such great stuff. Oh, yeah. Source Point uh, is great. Cult of Dracula. Yeah. Cult of Dracula looks great. I mean, it's – I don't know if you've seen the previous word, Kendrick, but I, I read the first little preview for it, and uh-huh. it, so far, it's awesome. Nice. Well, so, that'll be a fun one to get into. I, I love Dracula books. I, I think I've read Bram Stoker's Dracula 20 times in my life. Damn. Because I read it when I was in elementary school, which I should not have read it. I was like no, in fifth no, grade, not. sixth grade. And yeah. And it gave me nightmares. And then good, good. I read it again in junior high twice, maybe three times in junior <laughs> high, like once in seventh grade, eighth grade, and ninth grade. And then I I read it like back to back in tenth grade because I was just like, Oh my god, this I had I liked it so much more. You know what I mean? Oh, because you get more out of it. Like, yeah. that's like the first time I read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I was like 12. Yeah. And then when I read it again in high school, it was like a different book. And then when I read it again in college, it was like a whole different thing because I, I got more of the, the Yeah, you got the on. subtleties. Yeah. Yeah. The subtleties make yeah, a huge I, I difference. I know those two books didn't then, get further from the same at all, but. <laughs> yeah. And then when Bram Stoker's Dracula came out, I really, really dug that movie that Francis Ford Coppola did. And nice. He did a he did a pretty good job staying pretty fair to the book. I think more so than any other movie that I had watched. So yeah. I was like, oh, I want to. So I went back and I read it again. <laughs> and it's just a book that I read every few years. It's uh, it's just one of my my favorite stories told. And I love uh, I love Marvel's adaptation of Dracula. I loved the cartoon that they that. I can't remember. I don't know the name of the company, but they, they adapted Marvel's seventies tomb. Oh, Dracula right. Right. To a, uh, yeah, to a, to an animated movie. And I love that. And, and, and really I even liked 
uh, Dracula 2000. I, sh- I actually did too. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just, I love all that stuff. And so I, I'm excited to check out the cult of Dracula. It's, it's I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And Richard Davis seems like a really cool guy. Yeah, man. So what do you say? We just get into it. Listen to Rich and Melissa in their own words. I love it. Let's do this. This is Spoiler Country, and I'm Melissa Sergia. Today on the show, I'm excited to welcome comic book writer Rich Davis. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Melissa. Glad to be here. Awesome. Thank you. How are you doing this evening? I am doing fantastically well, considering we're actually getting cold weather here in the South where it's not supposed to get cold. Oh, yeah. That's very, that's uh, rare. Where in the South are you? Whereabouts? I'm in Tennessee, in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Okay. All right. I'm in California. We've had lots of rain lately. (laughs) Right. And you're not supposed to get rain out there. So (laughs) yeah, exactly. Especially in central California. And we we have weird weather here anyways. It's, it's like not Mm. hot when it's supposed to be and you know, lots of fog. (laughs) (laughs) So I want to get right into it. You have a new comic book coming out called the cult of Dracula, uh, Mm -hmm. which is right up my alley, by the way, I'm a huge, huge vampire uh, lover. Uh, So I'm excited to, to learn more about this. Tell me what is the book about and, and what inspired you to, to write this? Sure. The basic premise of cult of Dracula is to take the original Bram Stoker mythology and reimagine it within a Charles Manson, Jim Jones inspired mm-hmm. cult. And that's, that's kind of the seed that we began with. And from there, I began toying with different vampire mythologies from around the world. And I wanted to do something that made Cult of Dracula a little bit different from just your standard Dracula remake. And so I decided after researching a lot of different mythologies, I kept coming across these, this very common story that seems to exist in just about every culture that you can imagine throughout all of human history. There's always a dark outcast ostracized woman Mm -hmm. who stalks the darkness and feeds off of the blood of children. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that would be a really interesting take for Cult of Dracula. So rather than making Dracula a kind of stuffy Victorian gentleman in a tuxedo, we made Dracula a woman. And Mm -hmm. so we began tying all of these different mythologies and these scary stories together and we're able to kind of create this new mythos that ties all the way back to Lilith and the beginning of, of scary stories. Wow. That's really cool. I did not know that. I, I read some blurbs and I know the book's not out yet. So I wanted to get your take on on what it was about and that I was not expecting that. So that's really interesting. I'm very <laughs> intrigued. So so it is supernatural though. It's not like a modern day. And when I say modern day, I mean, it's not like you're trying to humanize the characters. They're still, she's still going to have that, the, the blood drinking aspect and the supernatural oh, aspect. Absolutely. Oh, cool. Absolutely. Yeah. It's very much in keeping with Gothic literature, which, you know, that, that was a huge inspiration. You know, things, you know, going back, Dracula, of course, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, mm. um, 
Northanger Abbey. You know, there's just those classic Gothic tales. And of course, they all involve the supernatural features. So yeah, supernatural definitely features very heavily in Cult of Dracula. These are, these are definitely vampires. They definitely drink blood. They have a lot of other powers and things that you'll associate with different vampire mythologies. And we probably pull some things in there that, you know, that some readers may not be directly familiar with as part of vampire mythology because we did we did look at different legends from around the world even things like the native american wendigo we tie aspects of that into the story so definitely you'll get a lot of what you're looking for as far as traditional vampires but you're going to be surprised i hope with some of the uh, the the new directions we decided to go Okay, cool. And are your vampires glamorized or romanticized in a sense, or are they more like, are they vampire diaries or are they 30 days of night? (laughs) They're closer to 30 days of night. You know, they're definitely not, definitely not the Anne Rice uh, style vampires. Although I love Anne Rice, I've Mm -hmm. read, I think every one of her books at least twice. And she was a huge influence on me uh, growing up and, and in how I write. But the vampires in Cult of Dracula have two forms. They have a human form and they also have a monstrous form. Mm. And the monstrous form comes out more and more the deeper into the book we go. They become less and less human and more and more monstrous. But yeah, we're definitely not going down the the Vampire Diaries or the Twilight route. Although I have a great deal of respect for both of those. They're just a a different kind of story than what I wanted to tell. Yeah, you're more going down that horror route, essentially. Absolutely. Cult of Dracula is a pure horror story. I am a huge fan of horror films and horror books, and I really wanted to create a story that I would be proud of as a horror fan. Mm -hmm. And I hope that, you know, horror fans and fanatics all over the world are engaged and impressed by what we've got going on here. Okay. Now, without giving too much away, and if you can't talk about it, I I understand because you don't want to spoil too much, but do you introduce any other types of supernatural creatures like, you know, werewolves or witches or anything like that? There, there aren't any other supernatural beings per se. Well, you know what? I'm going to take that back because we do explore the origins of Lilith. And so that does involve angels and demons uh, and things like that. So we do try to tie them together. And then a lot of the mythologies that we drew from, from around the world, involve other creatures that we may not always associate with vampires, but in other cultures, they have been considered to have vampire-like traits. Things like Lamia and mermaids mm-hmm. and sirens, the Wendigo, things like that. They have commonality with our modern interpretation of uh vampires um, in the Hindu culture, uh, the Vatala, mm-hmm. things like that. We do tie that into the mythology, but you know, there's no, there's no ghosts or werewolves or witches or anything like that. It definitely sticks to tying these different vampiric creatures into the mythology. Okay. So it sounds like you did a, a lot of research, which is, which is awesome. 
And yes, uh, I absolutely did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Probably more than I needed to, but it was <laughs> it was fun research. I mean, I really enjoy reading these stories and and things and uncovering all these, you know, just little legends that people have told around campfires for you know for generations. I mean, it's really cool to to discover those things, and you know, it's like you start pulling one thread and it leads you over here, mm-hmm. and that leads you over to there. So yeah, it, it was it was quite a bit of fun. Yeah. No. And one of my favorite mythologies of, of vampires is is the Lamia, you know, story. Mm-hmm. And I actually I based an entire book around that mythology as well. Yeah. No. She's. It was just. There's so much darkness there, and it's so like you were saying, more of the horror vein rather than like the romanticized, you know, mm-hmm. vein. What I also found interesting when I was reading about you was that you kind of delve into the the brides. Of, mm-hmm. of Dracula. And mm-hmm. it kind of reminded me somewhat of the casket girls from New Orleans. Mm-hmm. What made you, you know, what inspired you to kind of delve into that? Because as, as we all know, they don't really, in the original Bram Stoker, just Dracula, you don't get to know much about the brides. They're just sort of there, you know, as mm-hmm. his, you know, a company, minions, whatever you want to call them. So what, what inspired you to kind of delve into that? Yeah, uh, you know, I've always found the brides to be very fascinating creatures. And, you know, you're right, in Stoker's original work, they're, um, they're barely referenced, you know, maybe three times throughout the entire novel, but they make such an impact on the overall story, or at least they made an impact on me growing up reading it and then later watching um, the Francis Ford Coppola adaptation uh, mm-hmm. of the film. And, you know, Stoker used them to symbolize everything that a Victorian man was afraid of in a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, she's independent and sexually voracious. And so they served a purpose in his book, which, you know, Dracula is often viewed as a commentary on Victorian hypocrisy toward sexuality. So in that context, they serve a very uh, symbolic uh, role. But I wanted to explore them more and give them their own individual individuality, their their own unique backstories. And because in in Cult of Dracula, the, the brides serve kind of as Dracula's heralds. Like they arrive first before we ever meet Dracula. And they, you know, we 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 toy around with them and we you know we kind of get the idea that they've been with Dracula for a very, very long time. They they're kind of high priestesses in, okay. in a way. And so I felt like they needed, especially in our modern era, you know, when we actually do get to read awesome stories about amazing female characters, you know, it's it's not good enough anymore just to give a simple black and white, oh yeah, here's the sexy brides. You know, I wanted to explore them a little bit more and give them their own identities. They still function as kind of a hive mind, if you want to think of like Star Trek's Borg. Okay. You know, they 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 can speak in unison, they often act in unison. But they have also their own individual qualities. You know, one of them, Akasha, is, I, they each have names. So Akasha is a Nubian uh, priestess. So mm-hmm. she was turned, you know, a couple thousand years ago. And Signa was a Viking scald mm-hmm. and is a Japanese sorceress. And so, again, tying all of these different cultures and different mythologies into our vampire legend not only gives them depth and individuality, but I think it also gives uh, the story some depth and 
hopefully it'll make people want to think a little bit more and maybe explore a little bit more with these uh, characters. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to do it, actually, is by using like how to utilize those mythologies by giving assigning one essentially to each you know, bride. I think that's really, Mm -hmm. it's really clever. (laughs) Yeah. And it was fun. I mean, researching the way that like, for example, the way the Vikings viewed their skulls and women who the seers, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, skulls is really more of a a bard or a storyteller, but you know, seer is kind of a generic word to use. So I kind of blended those together, but you know, it was, um, these, they were very important to the, uh, to the Norse culture. And they had a very prominent um, and respected role in society, and the and they genuinely believed that they had mystical powers. So you know, it it fed mm-hmm. right into what we were trying to do with Dracula, and of course, you know, the Nubian religion. There were priestesses who could interpret mystical things and also see across the veil, talk to the dead. So all of these things just made sense once we uh, I started tying them together, and it was it was really really fun to uh, to develop these characters that way. That's really cool. Were you influenced at all by like the Greeks? You know, like the Fates and the Furies. Yes, absolutely. That that Greek mythology I loved studying that when I was younger. So definitely tying in a lot of Greek mythologies. The story of Medusa. Mm -hmm. Um, I have Medusa on my list as a descendant of Dracula, just given her story about how just tragic it was. I thought she fit well within the mythology. And then also the, uh, the Viking Norns, you know, they're the, they're the three, the weird sisters who sit at the, uh, the foot of the tree of life and they weave people's fates together. Mm -hmm. And so the brides get to function quite a bit like that. And they represent like you'll see some of the like some of the tattoos and the runic markings that they'll have. People who are into that sort of thing might recognize some of that symbology from uh, from those different cultures and religions. Sounds like you could even do. Can't hurry. I'm just deciding for you now. Uh, you could even do like a spinoff series just on <laughs> them. You know, I mean, and just like they're. I mean, I know they're tied to Dracula, but mm-hmm. it would be an interesting thing to explore. I don't know, like maybe before they became with the Dracula, you know, like that backstory prequel type of stuff. I think it'd be really interesting because you've you've really done your research and really fleshed these characters out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would love to do that. I've actually um, kind of bounced the idea around with SourcePoint uh, to maybe do some one shots on the brides. You know, I knew they were going to be probably the biggest breakout characters like you know if you know getting way way ahead of myself but Mm. if any characters from cult of dracula really broke out and became popular that i i I thought it would be the brides because they're just so unique and mysterious and so i've been bouncing around the idea of maybe doing you know some one shots featuring each one of them and kind of their origin stories and how they became uh brides of dracula and so that, that's definitely a possibility that uh, we're going to explore. Oh, cool. And you mentioned the, that Dracula's ability to, to have a human form and a monster mm-hmm. form. Do you also touch on any of the, you know, the Bram Stokers, like shape-shifting, you know, into the wolf or the, or the bat or anything like that? Yeah, we do. We don't go full on animal shape shifting, but when they shift into their monstrous forms, Dracula especially has the ability to appear um, 
like a different person, can kind of change their her visage so that she can project things that you that that someone looking at her might want to see. And then of course the monstrous form, you know, she has kind of she can uh, manifest giant wings like a bat and scaly skin. I tied a lot of serpent mythology into uh, into Dracula. So from the waist down, she develops kind of a serpent's tail. So not directly the wolf or the bat or the mist, but we do heavily imply those things just as kind of nods to Stoker's original intent, especially the mist, the fog. Fog plays um, a pretty prominent role later on in the book. So we play with that quite a bit. And can we expect any traditional, not traditional, I should say, original characters like Lucy or um, Mina? Mm Mm-hmm. They're all of your familiar, all of your characters that you're familiar with from Bram Stoker's Dracula are going to be present um, in Cult of Dracula. They're just reimagined in more in a more modern setting. For example, Lucy is a she's kind of our fairy like ingenue who has uh, she's a cult member. She's been a member of the cult pretty much her entire life, grown up in it, and her her relationship with Arthur Holmwood plays a pretty prominent role. He is a modern investment banker who was disgraced. Mm. Uh, he got involved in kind of a Bernie Madoff style scheme. Mm. And so he ended up at the cult kind of seeking redemption. Mina Murray and Jonathan Harker, and they are graduate students working uh, on a documentary about the cult of Dracula. And so their professor is Abraham Van Helsing. Oh, we cool. created, created him as a defrocked priest who something happened to him to where he was, he was stripped of his priesthood. So he became a college professor and now he's part of this crew that's brought them to, you know, to this cult. And, uh, and of course, Renfield, Renfield is very heavily modeled after Charles Manson, Jim Jones, David Koresh. He is, he's the public face of the cult of Dracula. He is the guru, the mystic, you know, the, the leader that people look to. So all of your characters that you're familiar with are going to be there just in slightly different forms. Reimagined. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yep, really cool. Absolutely. That's really cool. What's the, what's the timeline as far as it, it is modern day, right? Or is it? it is. Okay. It is. So it's not the yeah, Victorian, Victorian era. No, it's a, the story is a broken timeline. I grew up obsessed with Quentin Tarantino's films, especially things like Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and Kill Bill. Mm. So I really, really, really resonate with the the broken timeline style of storytelling. So the book opens in present day. We meet a character. Actually, the only original character in the, the book is Agent Malcolm Brom. And he is uh, he's an FBI agent who's here to investigate what's called the Cult of Dracula mass suicide event. And so when we're following him, we're in present day. When we shift over our point of view to follow Mina, we're jumping back three days prior to Agent Brom arriving to investigate. And then as we go deeper into the book, the timelines start to kind of blur and Mm -hmm. shift. And we jump back to, we jump back to the 1940s. We jump back in time, you know, we, we shift timelines several, several times. And the deeper you go into the book, the more and more difficult it becomes to determine not only where you are, but when you are. 
And that's on purpose because I want the reader as they go into the book, I want them to feel disoriented and confused and almost overwhelmed by the cult in the same way that Mina and our, you know, our, our main characters, I want them to experience a little bit of that as they read. So it's a, it's a rapidly uh, increasing spiral down a, down a deep, deep rabbit hole. (laughs) I love it. And how many issues do you have planned? Okay. So for Cult of Dracula, there will be six issues. It's, and then SourcePoint has exercised its option to publish the next two volumes, which we're calling Rise of Dracula and Reign of Dracula. And those will also be six issue art. And so total of 18 issues, but the first uh, the first arc is uh, is six issues. Oh, that's great. That's awesome that you have more planned and you get to oh, yeah. do more research and <laughs> get to oh, yeah. plotting and stuff. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> looking, looking forward to it quite a bit, actually. Oh, yeah. No, that's exciting. And where does Second Sight come into all of this? So Second Sight was my original publisher. We kind of took a long, strange trip to get where we are today. And we started with Second Sight last last August was when I, I connected with them. And we, we published uh, the first issue and released it to comic book stores. We sold about 10,000 copies of that first, that first issue. And I, it was a little bit of a surprise. Well, okay. To be frank, it was a lot of a bit of a surprise that it kind of caught fire the way it did. And I think it kind of overwhelmed Second Sight just a little bit. I mean, they're, they're great people over there. They did so much to help me get started, but eventually it got to a point where they realistically couldn't distribute the book on the scale that it, that it needed. So they were kind enough to recognize that and to support me enough. They, you know, they really wanted the best for me and the best for the book. So they were very much in favor of me taking the book to SourcePoint Press. Uh, SourcePoint is a significantly larger publisher than Second Sight. They have more of an infrastructure and a distribution network. And, you know, they were able to help me get the book out and really start to penetrate into the comic book market. So. Um, very, very grateful to all the opportunities that Second Sight gave me, and yeah. but I'm also extremely happy to be at uh, SourcePoint Press. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, it all worked out for the best, you know. It Sometimes did. It happens in, in publishing, you know, and I think it's cool that you guys, you know, split amicably, and you know, that's always nice when you hear of people. Uh, going that route rather than, you know, the horror stories that you hear about other people. (laughs) Absolutely. And, you know, it ultimately, it worked out best for everyone because it freed Second Sight up to be able to focus on the other uh, artists and the other titles that they were bringing into the fold. And then it, it freed me up to get a larger distribution network. So I think everyone in the end was much better off. You know, we were, we were both very, we benefited greatly from the relationship in the beginning but we also were better off once we decided to to split in the end. And, you know, yeah. it really was a win-win for everybody. And I wish them the best. And I know they wish me the best as well. So uh, very, very happy that it was an amicable um, arrangement. That's cool. That's awesome. And you have, you know, incredible artwork as well in in the cult of dracula yeah and i had mentioned to you before we went on about the poster that's that's behind you is absolutely gorgeous tell me about the artists and the variant covers and what was that like collaborating it was insane (laughs) i mean (laughs) honestly you know i at this time 
a year ago or two years ago, if you told me that that Shannon Mayer would be doing a cover for Cult of Dracula mm. or that I would be sending Lucio Perillo a terrible stick figure drawing <laughs> to to show him kind of what I wanted to see in a cover, you know, or if you told me I was going to even be having the conversations with some of the artists that that are working on this book, I, I would have laughed at you because <laughs> you know, I'm I'm nobody in the comic book world. I mean, I'm just a kid from Tennessee and I shouldn't be able to have even talk to these people yet here they are working on my book That's you know cool. people like carla cohen and ryan kincaid and then alex rigel and marissa pope and i mean just so yeah, many brilliantly talented big artists name on there <laughs> i know and sehun who's a korean i mean he's brilliant and i can't wait to be able to show his artwork to the world but yeah, it's really awesome and really humbling. And sometimes I just can't believe it that I'm actually working with these people and that, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm on Facebook messenger and I'm having a conversation with these people that I just, I've admired their art for so long. And, you know, here they are, you know, just thrilled as could be to be working on my little book. And, so cool. uh, yeah, it is so crazy, man. It really, really is. I, you know, I keep joking, halfway joking. I don't know when my 15 minutes of fame is up, but <laughs> I am totally enjoying every single second of it that I can. Yeah, no, and I don't think it, I don't think it will be up. I mean, I think that if you, you know, you keep writing and producing, you know, great material, I mean, you already have the in. So now it's just, you know, keeping up with the work and it's, and it's a lot, of course. But I mean, I think you should definitely. Don't worry about it. I think you're on the right path, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do my best. You know, I'm just, I'm enjoying this while I can. I'm really enjoying writing Cult of Dracula. I love telling the story. And, you know, Second Side has been very kind to offer, ask me to pitch some other things to them. Okay. Uh, so I plan on doing that. Um, working on a couple of other original IPs for myself. And of course, I'd love for SourcePoint to publish those. But yeah, I'm just going to keep doing this until they tell me I can't do it anymore. And then I'll probably keep doing it anyway. Yep. You just won't hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you, so you, how long have you been actually writing comics? I mean, I know this is your debut, yeah. but like, when did you, you know, cause we all work in the shadows before we actually publish. So how sure. long have you been at this? You know, I've been working on Cult of Dracula as a comic now for almost almost five years. And prior to that, it was an original stage play that I wrote back in 2013. It was produced at the Brown Coat Theater in Wilmington, North Carolina. And from there, I started adapting it into a screenplay. And so I worked on that for a long while. And of course, I was doing this in between, you know, there, for a long while, I owned, a, I owned a theater. And that's my primary background in the theater world, theater and film. Okay. And then once I got out of the theater business, sold that, I opened up a comic book store, you know, and so just wow. between, yeah, between my just normal everyday life and putting this, you know, together, working on the comic, you know, late nights and weekends and any spare moment that I had, you know, it, it, it's it's taken me longer than probably most comic book writers take. But, you know, I hope to have more time to kind of do this, you know, maybe as my primary focus, you know, in the future. I don't know if I'll ever be on, you know, like a, like a Brian Michael Bendis or a Cullen Bunn who can sit there and write, <laughs> you know, 10 different books at a time. I don't know how people um, do that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't need, I couldn't keep the voices straight in my head. I mean, I could barely keep them straight in my head just working on one book. I can't imagine writing as many as they do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But, um, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, they're they're insane, insanely talented. I, I just that level of ability is just so awe inspiring. And you know, I I hope to be able to you know work on maybe one book at a time, maybe two. But yeah, I I could never do do that many at, at once. Yeah, that's a lot of pressure. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. keeping it all straight, you know, is I can't. Yeah, I can't even imagine. <laughs> but my hats <laughs> off to them because yeah, that's incredibly impressive for the ones that can. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I was. It's funny because you you mentioned the comic book store that you owned and everything, and I was reading your bio, and you've got quite the interesting bio. Like you've, you've literally done so many different things. You know, writer, producer voiceover yeah. actor stunt man I saw on there the one that really yeah. I was and then like in the middle of it it's presidential campaign staffer and what yeah. what campaign did you work on <laughs> I've actually worked on two presidential and <laughs> three actually I didn't have an official role with the Gore campaign it was campus coordinator but I worked on worked on Hillary Clinton's 08 campaign and um, and also worked on Barack Obama's campaign as a volunteer coordinator for both of those and I worked on Senator Kay Hagan's senatorial campaign in North Carolina in also wow. a volunteer coordinator capacity so yeah I was always that kid who <laughs> I just liked to dabble in a mm-hmm. lot of different things. You know, when I went to college, I didn't really have a major. I just kind of went through the catalog and picked out the the classes that I thought were interesting to me. So I didn't really have a a set focus. And then my, you know, my career path has kind of been the same thing. I like to, I like to try different things. I like to explore Mm -hmm. uh, new opportunities. And, you know, I've worked in, I've worked in radio, I've worked in film, I've worked theater. I've worked for newspapers. You know, I've, I've just done a little bit of everything. And, you know, luckily I've been fortunate enough to be able to make, you know, wise decisions and be able to support myself and, you know, end up where I am. But yeah, uh, yeah my life is definitely not been a, a straight path. It's been kind of all over the place. <laughs> well, it sounds like you're like a jack of all trades kind of a person, right? Yeah. Like, trying to get yeah, and I totally get that. You know, I, I had an interest in political science for a long time and took some classes. And that must have been a really cool experience, actually, to be kind of in the thick of a campaign, you know, especially, you know, like the Obama campaign. That must have been really mm-hmm. exciting to be a part of, you know, to, and you could probably take a lot of your experiences in a, in a weird way, even though it's not you write in horror, but you can take those and, you know, kind of input them into your writing. Absolutely. I mean, you know, as a writer, you're you're going to have to create lots of unique characters with unique backstories. And, and in order to do that, you've got to have kind of a, a broad understanding of different people for different walks of life. And so, yeah, I, you know, having such a kind of a, you know, a diverse career history, you know, I, I've met a lot of different people. I've done a lot of different things. So it, you can definitely incorporate that um, into, into what you're writing, you know, so I hope that helps when readers, you know, get to meet my characters in Cult of Dracula. I hope that it helps them seem more real and more mm-hmm. grounded because every character in the book has a long backstory. You know, I probably focus more on the backstory than I need to because <laughs> 90, 90% of the information is never going to reach the reader because the right. reader is only going to meet them in this context, in this world, in this story. But in order for me to be able to write write them believably, I need to know those things, or at least I feel like I need to mm-hmm. know those things about them. And so, yeah, I hope that helps to create, you know, living, breathing characters on the page. Yeah, no, that's 
That's really cool. I actually read something similar to that a long time ago, like a piece of writing advice that was like, you know, you know, the backstory is really, you know, it may never see the page, but it's, it's more for you so that when you're writing the character, you put in these like nuances that, that you wouldn't think of if you didn't have the character fleshed out. And so then it comes Mm -hmm. across to the reader, you know, as being a fully fleshed out character. Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, you want them to have motivations that are grounded in reality, because if you don't, if your characters don't have a history, and again, I'm no expert. So if you're listening out there and you have a completely different philosophy, that's totally cool. Um, But for me, what works, you know, if if they don't have that backstory, if they don't have that history, then it's too easy for the character to become a cliche Mm -hmm. um, or to become a trope. And I wanted to avoid that as much as possible, especially when I'm dealing with, you know, adapting a story that so many people know so very, very well. You know, I didn't want to fall into the trap of just being cliche, 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 trope, 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 blood and guts. Okay, happy, you know, there's the end. You know, I wanted it to be a unique take, unique characters who had, you know, real just living, breathing lives and and motivations for what they were doing. Yeah. And what is your actual like writing process like? Are you a I guess you would have to be in this particular genre and story type, but are you typically a detailed outliner or do you kind of have a general idea of where you're going and then or you just go the opposite and just kind of pants it the whole way? I am so I was introduced that there are basically two different types of of writers. There's there are architects and gardeners. And, you know, the architect, super detailed outline, step-by-step, this is what happens, this many pages, this many paragraphs, et cetera, et cetera. And then the gardener just kind of goes wherever the story goes. And I kind of fall somewhere in the middle of that. I probably lean a little more heavily toward the gardener archetype in that my characters tell me where the story is going to go. My outline is, you know, very detailed as far as the milestones. Like I know I need to get, you know, from A to B to C to D, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But my characters, when, when they start talking to me as I'm writing, you know, they may take a, you know, a very long roundabout way to get from A to B. And that can be, uh, that can be a little frustrating for editors. But again, I think it adds believability and a sense of realness uh, to the characters because, you know, it's, I'm not forcing them to hurry along just to get to a milestone. I'm letting them take their time to get there. And, you know, some of the side stories that, you know, that, uh, that I've ended up telling in Cult of Dracula, when I sat down to write my first outline, I never, never once imagined that I would, you know, jump back in time to, you know, to a little hillbilly moonshining settlement <laughs> in, in Southern Appalachia in the, in the 1940s. I never thought I would do that, but that's where the story wanted to go. And so ended up writing this really, really cool exchange and you get introduced to a, a really kind of seminal event in the development of, of one of the characters, you know, it, it turned out to be a milestone for them, even though it's not necessarily a milestone for the story itself. Yeah, no, I think that's really the fun part too, though. I mean, you, when you get on a, a tangent or you go off in a different direction, 
And then you're, you know, all of a sudden you're researching something, like you said, like some moonshining town or prohibition or whatever. And I feel like, and I don't know if you agree with me with me on this or not, but I almost feel like writers could be like excellent Jeopardy players, you know? <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> We know a lot of trivia. So much uh, random stuff. Yeah. I mean, like when you when you look at like your browser and you're like, wow, you know, seven types of poison or, you know, how to, <laughs> you know, hack into a computer or how to, I'm like, first of all, the FBI is probably like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, I know I am on an FBI watch list somewhere <laughs> for all the stuff that I had to research for this. I mean, I, I have listened to interviews with Charles Manson that, you know, I don't know, I don't know how many people have actually listened to some of these interviews. Yeah. You, you want to feel horrible about yourself, spend three weeks every night locked in your, in your office doing nothing but listening to Charles Manson interviews. And I did that because, you know, Renfield is very, very, very heavily inspired by Manson because Manson has fascinated and terrified me my entire life. And just the, the, the grip of fear that he was able to establish over an entire country in the 60s. It, it's just amazing. And it's, it's fascinating to me. So just to get Renfield's voice exactly right, mm-hmm. I listened to so much, so, so much content from, from Charles Manson. And when Manson starts to make sense to you, that's when it's time to step away and, and go watch The Mask or something. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah something you know, funny. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got to break yourself out of that mindset. Oh yeah, but, you'll, you'll get nightmares if you don't. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, so many nightmares, so many nightmares. But but yeah, I, I am absolutely convinced that I am uh, I am on an FBI watch list because of <laughs> the research I did for this. So they're probably listening to this podcast right now. So. Right, right. I guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think they probably have files on like every author, you know, like, yeah. like they say they're writing books. Maybe we'll just keep an eye on them just in case. <laughs> just just in case he's actually really that psycho. Right. <laughs> There's like a whole like author library wing in the in the CIA headquarters. <laughs> I'm sure, you know. That'd be, yeah. that'd be kind of a fun job to have too, you know, because <laughs> you have to read all the cool stuff. Definitely, <laughs> be a good idea for a book, actually. <laughs> you know, it really, really would. Yeah, pile that one away. <laughs> all right, we just created something. Yeah. <laughs> Copyright it quick. <laughs> yep, real quick. <laughs> um, so the future, you know, the spinoffs that you were talking about—is there anything else that you can talk about that's brewing around in your head? Anything else that mm-hmm. you are planning on on working on and creating? Yeah, I've got a couple projects that I can't talk about right now that a source point has asked me to pitch for, but they're going to be fun. But as far as new IPs, I have been um, really, really obsessed with with the Frankenstein story lately. And I've got an idea in my head that sets Mary Shelley's story inside of the, uh, sets it in the atomic age. So with the development of the atomic bomb, Oh, wow. And and also playing with with the Prometheus legend, exploring that a little bit more with so with the creature being more of Victor's obsession and stealing fire from the gods, which is you know conquering conquering death 
essentially. Yeah. So it's kind of developing kind of a loose outline of that story right now. Awesome. But yeah, I, I know that's probably the next thing I'm going to write because I've, I've gotten that obsession with it and I've started, uh, you know, started doing the research and listening to all the scholarly podcasts and analyst and analyses of, of Mary Shelley's work. And it's just such a fascinating story. And again, I love that Gothic style of storytelling. It's It was very influential on me for my whole life. So I, I really like playing in that world. And then I've also outlined another story that I'm loosely calling Shooter. And it's it's kind of a kind of a modern day science fiction story that deals with deals with bullying and school shootings. And uh, so it turns into kind of a Red Dawn meets the last Starfighter type oh, story. Oh, wow. That sounds um, interesting. Without giving too much away. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's, it, I love Red if, Dawn. Oh God, Red Dawn is one of those awesome movies that I can watch anytime it's on. Yep. You know, it's just such a, such a cool film. Yeah, um, <laughs> I love it. But, I have yeah, it in the Patrick source... Swayze collection. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And man, the cast that that movie had was just awesome. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I got it. Wolverine, I remember yeah. back in the day when we had Blockbuster and I ended up getting it in one of those like the used, you know, tables and it was in mm-hmm. a like a box set. And so it was it was oh, Red wow. Dawn and it was Roadhouse together. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Roadhouse is a sadly underrated movie. I mean, it's total eighties cheese, but it, it's actually entertaining. <laughs> oh, it's, it's fantastic! I could watch both of those movies, like you said, over and over again. But anyways, yeah, getting yep. back to your your sci fi, <laughs> going off on a um, tangent. <laughs> no, no, that's totally okay. We can totally we can totally talk about Patrick Swayze because he, <laughs> he he was awesome. He was amazing. Um, but so yeah, I don't know if if uh, Source Point is going to let me do this one. I don't, I don't know if any publisher would actually, you know, let me do this story the way I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's got a really, really big gut punch at the end. So we're ta- I've been talking to Travis at source point about it and Jacob as well. And they're, they're tentatively on board, but uh, you know, we, we definitely want to develop this one the right way. Um, yeah. The shooter shooter has the, has the opportunity to be a very, hard-hitting, poignant analysis, yeah, or it could come off as exploitative and definitely don't want to do that, you know? So it's... um, Yeah, it's obviously, yeah, it's a sensitive topic. Very, very sensitive topic. And we want to make sure that we're treating it with the respect that it deserves, but also kind of hitting the issue directly and honestly and you know looking at it from a real perspective with no with no embellishment or mm-hmm. you know and, and not pulling any punches with it i mean it you know right. so for yeah. some reason i just can't write bright cheery stories <laughs> i'm right there with you <laughs> <laughs> it's just more fun to dive into mm-hmm. our dark sides right <laughs> it really is it's there there's so much more to explore there i think yeah, exactly. Have you ever done a, or uh, I know you haven't done one, but have you ever thought about doing a Kickstarter? Yeah, we actually were very, very close to taking Cult of Dracula out with a Kickstarter. You know, we went kind of down a really crazy road. You know, we went from having, you know, four or five publishers that were expressing serious interest in it 
to COVID hitting and all of a sudden no one was interested because they didn't know if they were even going to be publishing comic books anymore. And at that point, you know, Henry Martinez, who's my artist, we were thinking, well, maybe, maybe we just take it to Kickstarter. And I was like, yeah, you know, we'll put it out there. I'll sell five copies. You know, I know my mom's going to buy two. So if we can get three more people to buy it, we're doing well. And that was when we got involved with Second Sight and ultimately went with them. And then of course, you know, here we are and now we're at SourcePoint Press because yeah. we we were able to really develop kind of an underground following, you know. I was I was calling stores, like I I, I literally called over a thousand stores this wow. year to tell them about Cult of Dracula. And I ended up hiring three people out of my own pocket. And this is, you know, I, I hired them to make the, because uh, we're, you know, we're calling so many stores. So I had them do the initial cold calls and then they would, the people, they would tell me which stores were really interested. And then I would call those stores back. So it made it a lot more efficient that way. And then we've continued that since we've shifted over to SourcePoint Press. You know, I think the success of Cult of Dracula is due Ex, you know, in in no small part, it, it's due to the support from our retail partners yeah. um, because retailers out there, we've developed great relationships with them. They've been involved with us from the very beginning, and they're they're really supporting the book in big numbers. And so, hopefully, they will be able to get the book into the hands of uh, their their customers and their readers, and it'll continue to grow from there. But but yeah, it, it, it's really cool. developed a really strong underground vibe to it, which has been impressive. But uh, yeah, that's a roundabout way of of getting back to your Kickstarter question of yes, yeah. we did consider <laughs> it, and ultimately. You know, we we were very fortunate to be able to end up at SourcePoint Press and get it with wide distribution through Diamond. That's cool. And, you know, and in the sense, especially since in the times we're in right now, you know, you're supporting local comic book shops as well, you know, especially by calling on them, trying to get your work in there. That's just giving them more content to offer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they are retailers. The local comic book shop is, is has been and always will be the backbone of the comic book industry. You just, you cannot reach readers with so many diverse comics without support from your local comic book shops. I mean, if you're Batman or Spider-Man, sure, you can throw those up on the shelves in Walmart and you're going to sell them because they're Batman and they're Spider-Man. But if you are an indie comics creator, if you're a genre writer, you know, you need support from the local comic book shops. And that means you've also got to support the local comic book shops in return. You know, so, you know, I have been, you know, doing everything I can to reach out to as many of those local comic book retailers as possible. And, you know, when they do exclusive variant covers for for Cult of Dracula, I'm making sure to help support them and to promote them through my social media and through, you know, any way that I possibly can. And, you know, once COVID lets up, more than willing to come out and do store signing events if they yeah. if they want me to do that, you know, because they've put a lot of trust in me and a lot of trust in my book by choosing to support it because there are hundreds of comics that come out every week and they certainly don't have to give shelf space to Cult of Dracula. Um, So I'm eternally grateful that they have and I am willing to return that trust in any way that I possibly can to support them. That's awesome. Yeah. And then hopefully you can get to do comic cons, you know, in the future and, you know, just do the whole book tour experience. I hope so. That would be awesome. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I think mean, one of my goals when I uh, started writing was like, I just want to be famous enough to be a guest at Dragon Con. Yeah. And I was like, that's it. if I get that level, I'm good. I'm done. Right. And, uh, so hopefully, hopefully I'm going to get there and hopefully there will be a Dragon Con this year so that I can actually go as a guest. That would be, that would be awesome. And yeah, um, it would. yeah and, and hopefully that happens sooner rather than later. <laughs> yes, I hope so. Wear your masks, people. Get the vaccine. Yes. Please yes. Curb please. these numbers. Yes. I want to get back to normal. <laughs> right. I mean, if for no other reason, just for the selfish reason of we want to go to cons again. Yeah, exactly. You I want know? that whole experience and that camaraderie again. Yeah. I miss my crazy cosplay family, man. Those, those right. people are awesome. They are the best. <laughs> I know. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't dress up, but I, part of the fun for me is watching other people dress up and seeing and people watching and, and just really seeing how much care and craft goes into, you know, what they oh, do because yeah. it's a, it's a lifestyle for them, you know? Yes, it is. And I mean, so those, some of those cosplayers, I mean, they put months and months and months of work into these yeah. beautiful, beautiful costumes. And some of them are movie quality. I mm-hmm. mean, there, there are some talented artists out there in the cosplay community and I admire the hell out of them. And I, you know, I feel bad for them that they're not able to go to cons and share mm-hmm. their, their work with the world. So, you know, know, definitely looking forward to the convention scene coming back. Well, I feel it will be bigger and better you know they're they're all everyone's at home so you know hopefully all the cosplayers are just hard at work on you know making all their I'm costumes sure they perfect. are <laughs> they probably got closets and closets and closets full of new costumes ready right. to rock out <laughs> exactly <laughs> a, a new one every day for the con <laughs> yep 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 that would be fantastic <laughs> that would be amazing <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on tonight. This has been really fun. I'm yeah, glad we absolutely. got to know each other. And I'm really looking forward to Cult of Dracula, which is available for pre-order right now, correct? That's correct. Yeah, you can uh, ask your local comic book shop to order it from Diamond. Uh, we've got the A cover by Gula Nemeth and the B cover by Shannon Mayer. Uh, the B cover is right behind me here. Oh, nice. So, uh, you know, go ask your local comic book shop to please order it from Diamond. We are expecting a sellout. So I don't know if we're going to do a second printing or not, but uh, yeah, we're, we're expecting um, this to be a big release in 2021. And uh, I hope you guys dig it. Um, I hope you support it. And I can't wait to share the rest of it with you. That's so exciting. Rich Davis, thank you so much for being on tonight. Thank you for having me. Had a great time. Take care. All right. And we're back. That's right. We are back. Back in the saddle again. Well, (laughs) I hope you guys really, really enjoyed that as much as we did making it for you. And if you like what you heard, you want to hear more, you got to go check out spoilerverse.com because at spoilerverse.com, we have a plethora. Plethora is such a, it's such a snobbish word. (laughs) I like it though. (laughs) It's it's a good word. (laughs) We have an obscene amount of interviews with amazing directors and artists of all walks of life and editors and writers and Oh my God! Are you a lover of comic books like we are? And then there's so many. so many amazing people from the comic book world over at Spoilerverse.com, and I highly implore you to go there and check it out. 
Yeah, and while you're there, you can check out all the other podcasts on our network, like Bridges and Geekdoms and Funny Book Forensics and Haphazard Adventures and Nerds from the Crypt and so many more. Misery Point Radio. episodes all the time. Misery Point Radio has got a ton of great stuff out there. Go check all of them out. And check out all of the reviews and previews and articles we have going up every single day for you. Every day on Swillivers.com for you to check out, to read, and to love, and to like, and to comment. We have a store link. If you want to help support the site, you can do it two ways. One, go to our Patreon, which is just patreon.com slash country, or go to our store link in the middle of the site there and get a t-shirt, a face mask, a hoodie, something. Look fly as hell and help support the site when you do that because we get a dollar or two. And, you know, maybe you want to talk to us. If you do, you can do it you know, obviously on all the socials. But if you go to scpod.us slash discord, you can join our public discord server and come chat with us all day long. I couldn't say it better myself, dude. <laughs> <laughs> You, you just mouthed out a ton of information at once, and really, <laughs> I hope you guys enjoy what you're hearing because we're we're working our butts off to bring it to you. We are, we are. I guess there's only one left thing, one left thing. Yeah, I'm gonna go with it. There's only one left thing left to do. What's that? In an oceans of podcasts, we are Cthulhu. As Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more.